Well, hey, welcome to Center Church. My name is Josh Miller. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm fired up to be here because my kids are sick, so I've been doing nothing all weekend. All right, I've been hanging out. I got an amen over here. I got a witness over here, right? There's another parent over there that's like, me too. I've been in purgatory. Um, seriously, super glad you're here. I know January is a time that a lot of people uh, are kind of trying out church. Maybe you're getting back in church. Maybe you're just sort of checking things out. I've gotten to meet some of you the last couple weeks, met some of you today. Man, we're super glad that you're here. Do us a solid. Fill out that Connect card so we can just get to know you better. We won't spam you. We just want to get to know you. Um, I also know that this is our first weekend with college students back. So big round of applause for the college students being back, okay? Um, seriously, we are not the same church without you guys. We love that you guys are here. This row is now full, which is fantastic. Uh, just so you know, guys, you are allowed to sit here if you're not a college student. Just want to let everybody know that. It's not like the reserved seating. Um, no, seriously, guys, uh, one of the reasons we planted here in Charlottesville was because we love college students. And here's what I know from personal experience, and you can probably agree with this. Man, college can be pretty complicated, right? College can be pretty complicated. You're like, what am I supposed to major in? Who am I supposed to live with? Who am I supposed to date? What clubs am I supposed to get involved in? What if I screwed all up and ruined my life, right? Like, it's just a stressful time of your life, but it matters, right? If the data if the data says anything, it says that the decisions you make and the friendships you form in college in those four years or five years, right, end up impacting the next decade of your life. So right now you're like, stop stressing me out. You know, you're like, I know, that's why I'm so stressed all the time. Uh, here's the thing, we want to help. Genuinely, we want to help. Uh, college is complicated. You want to get it right, right? And we are here to help, all right? It's one of the reasons that we have Center College, which is an on-grounds ministry of Center Church. And here's what we want to help you do in Center College. We want to help you make friends. We want to make you have fun. We want to help strengthen your faith, okay? And so, man, we're passionate about, man, reaching college students, building you guys up, sending you guys out to go change the world with the gospel. And so we're going to tell you all about how to get connected to Center College at the end of our service because we've got some exciting things that are happening this semester, and we don't want you guys to miss out on it, okay? Um, so what I want to do, I just want to pray for you guys. I just want to pray, man, God's peace and blessing over your life this semester, and then we're going to jump into Proverbs chapter 13. All right, let's pray. Oh, Lord God, um, Lord, I'm just grateful for college students. I'm grateful for the ways that throughout history you have changed the world, God. You have re-energized your church through the faith of college students. I thank you for all the things you did in my life in college, that you were patient with me, you were faithful to me. I thank you that you're going to be that way to these students. God, I just pray that this semester you would bless them, and you'd keep them, and you'd make your face shine upon them. God, that you would be gracious to them and patient with them, that you would strengthen their faith, that when they are feeling stressed or anxious or worried or overwhelmed, that they would know the peace that surpasses all understanding. And I pray that you'd help us to be faithful caretakers and faithful encouragers in their lives while we get to be in it. God, as we look at Proverbs about this important topic of friendship, God, would you give us wisdom and would you shape us that we might live a life that honors you and that is blessed. Lord, we love you. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you guys have a Bible, you can meet me in Proverbs chapter 13, starting in verse 20. Proverbs chapter 13, starting in verse 20. So we are in the third week of a series that we're calling Wisdom for Everyday Life. And what we're doing is we're looking at the book of Proverbs, and we're asking the question, what is God's design for different areas of our lives? And, and here's the big idea of this series. Um, and as the creator, God has a design for every area of life, okay? So marriage, parenting, education, career, fitness, all of it. And when we live our lives according to God's design, we experience his blessing. But when we deviate from God's design, we experience brokenness. So what we're doing in the book of Proverbs is we're just asking, what is God's design for those different areas of our lives that, that we deal with every day? So in week one, we talked about wisdom in general. Um, last week, we talked about sex and marriage. That was fun. Okay, hey, fun fact, that sermon has gotten three times as many views online than any other sermon I've ever preached. 
Okay, so I don't know what that means, whether that's good or bad. Um, so we talked about that last week, so if you're interested, you can go and listen to that one. And today we're going to talk about another super relevant topic, and the topic is friendship. Okay, the topic is friendship. What does the book of Proverbs have to say about friendship? Um, there's something about friendship that resonates with all of us, regardless of our generation. Okay, some of the most popular television shows in history are all about friendship. So in the 80s, you had Cheers, right? In the 90s, you had Friends. In the early 2000s, you had How I Met Your Mother. And in the mid-2000s, you had The Big Bang Theory, right? All those shows were wildly popular. They went on for at least nine seasons. Most went beyond 10, and they're all the same thing. They're all about a group of friends living in a major U.S. city. Man, there's just something about friendship that resonates with us. There's something about a show about a group of friends that millions of people around the country want to tune into and want to watch. Man, at a deep level, man, we long for friendship. We desire friendship. But the reality is many people don't have friendships. Man, we long for it. It resonates in our souls, and yet many of us don't have good friends. So in 2017, U.S. Surgeon General Vivek Murthy wrote this. We live in the most technologically connected age in the history of civilization, yet rates of loneliness have doubled since the 1980s. A recent survey found that the average American has less than two close friends. If you, if you make that men over 30, it drops below one close friend. And that study found that college students are having more and more difficulty making friends at school. And, and maybe you're here this morning and you're thinking to yourself, yeah, that sounds like me. Right? Maybe you're thinking to yourself, ever since I graduated or moved or had kids, I've just been lonely. Or maybe you're an extrovert, you're like me, you're an extrovert, so you're around people, you like being around people, you have a lot of acquaintances, but maybe you don't have a whole lot of people that know you deeply. You don't have a whole lot of people that really know your heart and can speak into your life. We long for friendships because God made us for friendships. You see, God created every one of us in his image, and he in his very nature is communal. One God in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So friendship is not sort of like a nicety, it's a necessity in our lives. So if that's the question, why are friendships so hard to form? Right? If, if we long for friendship and we were made for friendship, why do we have such a hard time forming meaningful friendships that last? Well, there's a lot of answers to that. At a cultural level, man, we live in a highly mobile society. You ever feel like you can't make friends fast enough because they keep moving away? Right? Some back here does, right? Like, so it's like, man, you make a friend and then they graduate or you make a good friend and then they get, you know, they, they get, you know, reassigned or they, they take a new job or they get married and the life stage changes. Right? So, gosh, it just feels like I can't make, for, I can't forge them as quickly as they're leaving. Right? So that's, that's part of it. Another, another reason is busyness. I mean, we're so busy, right, between work, man, and school. And if you have kids, kids and activities. And here's what we know. I mean, friendship requires margin. But a lot of us don't have a lot of margin. And so it's very, very difficult to form friendships. At maybe a little more deeper, a little more personal level. Um, maybe you've been betrayed in the past. Like maybe you, maybe you had some friends and then somebody, man, stabbed you in the back or, or, you know, really betrayed your trust. And so you're just like, I'm just not ready to do that again. Like I'm not ready to make myself vulnerable in that kind of way. It's hard for me to, to connect with people relationally because, man, I've been hurt by friends. Whatever the reason is, I, I think we can all probably agree that having friends is important, but making friends is difficult. Having friends is important, but making friends is difficult. And this is where the book of Proverbs is so helpful, because friendship is a major theme in this book. 
In fact, Proverbs talks more about the relationship of friends than it does about marriage, parenting, or work relationships. I mean, it is constantly talking about the importance of friends in our lives. And so here's what we're going to do. Now, we're going to look at a bunch of different Proverbs, because there's no one section in Proverbs that talks all about it, so we're going to have to jump around a little bit, which is a little bit different for me. So we're going to have to look at kind of the entirety of Proverbs, and here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn, man, the power of friends, what makes a good friend, and then where to find friends, okay? I hope today will be really, really helpful for you as you kick off the new year, as you start a new semester. Man, maybe you're in, in a new town, starting a new job. Man, what, how, do I, how do I do this, okay? The power of friends, what to look for in a friend, and where to find them. Here's number one. A wise person understands the power of friends. A wise person understands the power of friends. This is Proverbs chapter 13, verse 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. That phrase, walk with, in Proverbs, just refers to doing life with, right? Who, whoever you eat with, whoever you, you know, travel with, whoever you spend your Friday nights with. And what the Proverbs is saying is that whoever you find your belonging with will influence your character, right? What that proverb is saying is, hey, if you find your belonging with wise, godly people, you will become wiser and godlier yourself. But if you find your belonging among foolish people or wicked people or people who are not pursuing Christ then you will suffer unnecessary harm, right? I I think we all understand that our friends influence us, right? Like maybe we don't always think about it actively, but have you ever noticed you start to dress like your friends? Have you ever noticed this? It's like if your friends wear Carhartt, guess what? You probably wear Carhartt, right? Like if your friends wear Lululemon, guess what? You probably wear Lululemon. You ever seen a Carhartt and a Lululemon together? You don't see it very often, right? It's like I'm going to do yoga and then I'm building a shed. That's what we're doing today, you know? Right? I mean, we're just sort of influenced by the people that we spend time with. And that's because, for better or for worse, God has made us susceptible to peer pressure. He just has. Right? God has made us influenced by the people that we spend time around. Which means who you walk with will determine who you walk like. Who you walk with will determine who you walk like. That's what Proverbs 13.20 is saying. And it's not just isolated here in Proverbs 13. So Psalm chapter 1, verse 1 says this. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. So there's a progression there in Psalm chapter 1, verse 1. It says, if you want to have a blessed life, here's something that you need to be aware of. You need to avoid walking with the wicked, standing with sinners, and sitting with scoffers. Instead, the Psalm 1 says, instead, meditate on God's word and form friendships with God's people. Why is that? Because who you walk with will determine who you walk like. In 1 Corinthians 15, the Apostle Paul makes this same point. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33, he writes, do not be deceived. So don't fool yourself. Bad company ruins good morals. Bad company ruins good morals. So that means if you're growing in Christ, but find your belonging with people who are not, eventually your bad company is going to ruin your good morals. That's what Paul is saying. Now, here's what's fascinating. Paul is probably quoting a Greek play. That's probably from the Greek play Thais. And here's what he's saying. You don't have to be a Christian to understand this. Like, you don't need the Bible even to see that this is true. We we just see this, man, all around us, that, that who you walk with will determine who you walk like. So what does this mean for us practically? Well, here's what it means at the very lowest level for our lives today. Your friends are the future you. Your friends are the future you. You will probably end up, and I will probably end up, as the average of your closest friends. So let's say you're a family, 
and you're, you're kind of checking, you're, you're back in church, or you want to get in church, you've got kids, and I want them to grow up around the church. Here's what this means. If you surround yourself with other families who love Christ and prioritize his church, it's likely that you will grow in loving Christ and prioritizing his church. Let's say you're a student, right? And you're starting the new semester, and you're like, man, I, man, last semester didn't go great. I would like to be more filled with the Spirit and less filled with wine this semester, right? Like, man, that's what I'm trying to do. All right, so I'm back in church. Praise God. Man, we're really, really excited that you're here. But, but here's what this is saying. What actually matters most is not as much how many times you come here on Sunday morning. It's who you spend time with on Thursday night and Friday night and Saturday night. Because if you spend time with people who work hard during the week and play hard on the weekend, guess what you'll probably do? You'll probably work hard during the week and play hard during the weekend. But if you surround yourself with people, man, that are growing in Christ, man, that know how to have fun in a godly way, man, that, that, are, that are really, man, growing in their character, you probably will as well. Your friends are the future of you. You see this a lot in student ministry. Raise your hand if you ever went to a student camp. Anybody ever go to a student camp out here? We got some folks. All right, here's what we all know. What happens on the last night of student camp? Oh, it's invitation time, baby. All right? It's like the band is playing the most emotional song, right? And they're looping it. And the speaker gets up and tells his best story, and everyone is sobbing. Why are they sobbing? Because they haven't slept all week. You know what I'm talking about? And they're all hyped up on sugar, and it's like, ah, right? And, like, everybody responds, and everyone's going to be a missionary, every single one of them, you know? It's like, I'm going to be a missionary. I'm going to memorize the whole Bible. I'm not going to date until college, blah, blah, blah. All right? Great. I did that. Maybe you did that. All right. I'm actually a pastor now, so I guess I fall through. Um, <laughs> all right, here's, here's the point of this illustration. Here's what I found. You've probably found this. What actually determines the trajectory of those students' lives is not so much the emotion that they express that night. It's the friendships that they form when they go back home. You notice that? In fact, you can be pretty unemotional on Thursday night at student camp, but if when you go back, you're resolved, you say, look, I'm going to form some new friendships with some people who are going to be a godly influence in my life. That will actually have a larger impact on the trajectory of your faith than how emotional you were on Thursday night. Right? I, this is true in my story. So I played football in college. My first two years of college, I found my belonging with the football team. Right? I really struggled spiritually. Right? I mean, I was going out, I was partying, I was drinking. I, I felt convicted about it, but like these were my people, right? And then finally, my junior year, man, I made a pivot, and I started to find belonging with other believers, man, people I enjoyed, people who were following Christ. Man, and my faith, man, just took off like a rocket, right? I was godlier. Man, I was more faithful. I was wiser. Better decisions, fewer regrets, better witness for Christ. It wasn't because I got really emotional one night. It was because I made a decision to shift my friendships, right, to move away from belonging to a group of people that weren't helping me follow Christ and instead, man, belong to a group of people that would. So, so here's a question that's, that's worth asking. In what way are my friends shaping me? In what way are my friends shaping me? Man, are your friends helping you become godlier or are they hindering you from doing so? Are they helping you run your race or are they like weights dragging you down? And if your friends are like spiritual weights, then you need to reconsider your friend group. Now you might be asking me uh, at this point, so Josh, are you saying that the Bible says I just need to ditch all of my friends? Right? I just need to kick them to the curb. And I would say, no, the scriptures aren't saying that. But I, I would say the scriptures are saying you need to reconsider what circle of influence your friends are in in your life. Okay? So um, there's a diagram that my old pastor used to use. I think we've got it up here that I find really helpful. Okay? This is a great way to think through, think through your relationships. You can see it on the side screens too. All right, core represents the people that are closest to you. Okay, that's probably like two or three people, maybe four. I mean, these are the people that you share your heart with. These are the people that you ask advice from. These are the people that are influencing you. All right? I would suggest that the core needs to be all Christians. 
It needs to be people that when you look at them, you say, if I become more like them, I'm going to be happy. All right, that's your core. Now, outside of that, you've got community, and that's the 12 to 15 people that you do life with. Right, so man, you spend time with, you know, you 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 know, go, I don't know, hiking. I don't hike, but maybe you hike with these people. I'm not sure. Um, you man, these are just people you do life with. You serve these people. You pray for these people. You love these people. You minister to these people. Right, I'd say the majority of those people need to be Christians. Okay, and then on the outside, you have a um, a, a level of concern. Man, these are people that you genuinely care about. They are genuinely your friends. You love them, but they are not exerting the influence on you like the people in your core. Does that make sense? And so I'm not saying you need to get rid of all your friends if, if they're, they're not godly. But I think Proverbs would say it's wise to make sure your friends are in the right circle of influence. It could be that there's somebody in community that you're like, man, that girl is awesome. Like she, she seems to, man, to love Christ. I'm around her. I'm a better person. I want to move her down into the core. Like I want to spend more time with her. And like, man, this friend of mine who's in the core right now, I probably need to move her out into concern. Has anybody here ever watched a romantic comedy? You know what I'm talking about? You know how there's always the raunchy friend in the romantic comedy? You know what I'm talking about? Like she's always drinking too much. He's always a bad influence. He does not need to be in your core, okay? Like move the raunchy friend to concern and pray for them, all right? That's, that's what I'm saying. All right, so book of Proverbs says, hey, who you walk with will determine who you walk like. That is the power of friendships. They shape us. And so we need to ask the question, who are the people that I'm being influenced by? And it might be that you need to make some shifts in the people that are closest to you. All right, that is number one. Here's point number two. A wise person understands what makes a good friend. A wise person understands what makes a good friend. You might say, all right, Josh, you've said it's super important. It's gonna shape my character. It's gonna shape the trajectory of my life. So what should I, what should I be looking for in a friend? All right, well, I'm going to give you three qualities from kind of across the Proverbs of, of what you should be looking for, what makes a good friend. Here's number, number one, or letter A. A good friend is godly. A good friend is godly. All right, in Proverbs chapter 1, verse 10 through 15, Solomon gives his son advice about picking his friend group. Okay, that's what he's doing. This is what he says. My son, if sinners entice you, do not consent. If they say, come with us, let us lie and wait for blood. We shall fill our houses with plunder. Throw in your lot among us. You see that belonging language? My son, do not walk in the way with them. Here's what Solomon is saying. Don't hang out with the wrong crowd. Don't hang out with the wrong crowd. He says it's going to be tempting, right? They're even going to maybe call out to you. It's going to be enticing. Hey, throw in your lot with us. He says, but in the end, you'll regret it. Because, guys, the Bible says the most important thing about a friend is not that he's charismatic, well-connected, or fun to be around. But the most important thing about a friend is godliness, the most important thing about a friend is godliness. And unfortunately, one of Solomon's sons did not learn this lesson. Okay, one of Solomon's sons was named Rehoboam. Okay, and Rehoboam became king after Solomon. All right, so Solomon dies, Rehoboam becomes king, he's ruling all of Israel. And as soon as he becomes king, the elders of the people come to him and they say, hey, look, um, your dad was working everyone way too hard. Okay, way too hard, the people are exhausted. If you will lessen the workload, everyone will joyfully serve you. So please consider, you know, lessening the workload. And Rehoboam was like a young guy, you know, he's like, oh, I don't know what to do. So he's like, all right, give me three days. He's like, all right. So he goes and he talks to like the old godly wise counselors from his dad's era. And they're like, hey, this is a good idea. If, if you're considered of the people, they will follow you joyfully. He's like, okay. Then he goes and he talks to his buddies. Okay, these are referred to as the young men who he would drink and party with. What do you think they said? They go, no way, man, flex on them. That's what you should do. 
Man, tell them that you're even worse than your dad. You know, like, man, show them who the boss is. And so Rehoboam, being, you know, just a, a total fool, is like, I'm not going to listen to the old godly wise guys. I'm going to listen to all my stupid friends, right? So he goes back to the people. He says, no, I'm going to double your labors. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be even more than my dad, blah, blah, blah. The people promptly rebelled, and the kingdom descended into a civil war from which it never recovered. All because Rehoboam listened to his stupid friends. That's why. Man, that is the power of friendship. So when, when we're looking for friends, when you're trying to form friends, it's a good question to ask, man, who are the godliest people I know? You know, it's like, who are the godliest people I know that I also enjoy spending time around? That is a great place, man, to start forming friendships. Because here's the thing, you're not the king of a, of a nation, right? But you do have influence. And the advice of your friends is going to shape your life. So let me give you, let me give you an example. Um, you know what you want when your marriage is really hard? You want friends, they're going to encourage you to, to hang in there. You know what you don't want? You don't want a friend that's going to be like, just divorce them. It's not worth it. Like, you do you. Man, you're just not in love anymore. Like, just, just man, put it, put it away. Like, move on. That's what you should do. You don't want that friend in that moment. You know what you want when you're really discouraged about parenting? Man, you, you want somebody who's going to hold your arms up and persevere with you. Do you know what you really want? Sometimes you don't want this, but do you know what you really want when you're dating that guy you shouldn't be dating? You want the friend that loves you enough to be like, hey, I'm not sure about him. Right? You want friends who are going to give you advice that leads to godliness and helps you leave a good legacy, man, which is the opposite of what Rehoboam had. All right, so the first quality that we should be looking for, man, in friendships is godliness. Here's the second quality. A good friend is candid. A good friend is candid. Proverbs 27.6 says this. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. Now, when you first read that, it seems inverted, doesn't it? It's like, why is my friend wounding me, and why is my enemy kissing me? Like, shouldn't that be opposite? Like, what is going on? Some of you are like, I don't want my friend kissing me. That's weird, right? No, that's just like, man, blessing you, speaking kindly about you. That's what that means. Here's what this proverb is saying. There are people who will flatter you and speak kindly about you to get something from you. And those are your enemies. And their kisses are profuse. Their, their words are kind because they don't actually want good for you. They want good from you. But what this proverb is saying, a true friend, a good friend, is willing to tell you the truth even when it's painful. They're willing to wound you if the end result is your good. In fact, one way to translate Proverbs 24, 26 is this way. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. An honest answer is a sign of true friendship. You see, a true friend is willing to seek your highest good even above your immediate comfort, even above their immediate comfort. A true friend is willing to lean in and talk to you about parenting. That's uncomfortable. A true friend is willing to lean in and talk to you about this dating relationship. A true friend is, is willing to lean in and kind of talk about how much you've been working and, man, and how you've been pretty inconsistent at church. And, man, like I've seen some stuff on your social media channels that seem a little bit questionable. Like, what's going on? A true friend loves you enough to have hard conversations. Right, Because the wounds of a friend are faithful. In fact, David, David Mathis in his book, Habits of Grace, says that words of correction from a friend are one of the greatest gifts of God in our life. That words of correction from a friend are one of the greatest gifts of God in our lives. And sometimes we hear that, and here's, here's what we think. And maybe you're like me, maybe you think this. You're like, ah, I see that happening, I don't think that's good, but I love my friend too much to talk to him about that. Right? I love my friend too much to say this thing is, is going to make them uncomfortable. Here's what we really mean when we say that. Do you know what we really mean? I love my own comfort too much to be candid. 
That's actually what we mean. I love peace and I love ease and I love comfort too much to talk to my friend about this thing because I know it's going to be an uncomfortable conversation. I'd rather my friend to continue to live foolishly and to end in destruction than to have an uncomfortable conversation with them that's going to take some time to work through. Right? A good friend is a candid friend. And so a question that it's, it's worth asking is like, am I a candid friend? Am I willing to speak to man, my friends about things that I see in their lives? And I'm the kind of friend that can receive candor, right? When someone speaks to me, do I receive it? Man, if, if you are operating that way, you're going to save yourself so much trouble in life. Um, this happened to me when I was 28 years old. So when I was 28 years old, I wanted to plant a church, okay? I thought it was the right time. My, my wife thought it was the right time. Great, let's plant a church. So I go to my pastors of my old church. And I was like, hey, guys, I want to plant a church. And they're like, great, so tell us why. So I tell the whole thing why. They're like, great, give us a week. We'll get back to you. Great. So they get back to me, and they say, hey, Josh, um, we do not think you should plant a church right now. And I was like, why not? And they said, we don't think you're a good enough preacher. You want to talk about feeling wounded. You know what I'm talking about? Like, it's a faithful wound. This just feels like a wound, you know? But they're honest. They say, look, we, we just think if you plant a church right now, you will put your family through unnecessary hardship because you're simply not experienced enough. They're like, we, we, we love you. We believe in you. We think one day this is going to be right for you, but it's not right now. How do you think I felt? I was so mad. I was so mad. And in retrospect, I am so glad. Because I did. I wasn't ready. I would have put my family. I would have put our launch team. I would have put some of you. I already put you through enough. Like, I would have put you through even more. They loved me enough, man, to tell me something hard that, that was hard for me to hear, that made me frustrated and honestly angry for a little bit. But they loved me enough, man, to tell me the truth, to protect me from harm. So here's my question. Do you have friends that are willing to do that? Do you have friends that are willing to lean in and tell you the truth even when it's difficult to hear? Are you willing to hear from them when they do? How do you respond when somebody wants to, to talk about something that's personal? Man, do you get prickly? You get combative? You get defensive? Right? Do you have your whole list of things that you're going to throw at them? Right? That's what everybody has, right? Oh, I can't wait till Sally comes at me. Get the arrow out, you know? Oh, you think I'm a bad mom? You know, like, right? It's what we do. We have these defense mechanisms, and you know what we're doing, guys? We're hurting ourselves. We're hurting ourselves because the book of Proverbs says a good friend is a candid friend who loves you enough to speak the truth in love even when it's difficult to hear. So that's, that's letter B, a good friend is a candid friend. Here's letter C. A good friend is considerate. A good friend is a considerate friend. Two Proverbs here. Proverbs 25, 20. Whoever sings songs to a heavy heart is like one who takes off a garment on a cold day and like vinegar on soda. Proverbs 27, 14. Whoever blesses his neighbor with a loud voice rising early in the morning will be counted as cursing. Right? Both of those Proverbs describe someone who is inconsiderate. All right? In the first Proverb, you have a man who is totally disconnected from what his friend is going through. And his friend has a heavy heart. His friend is dis discouraged. His friend is disappointed. His friend is sad. And yet this man comes in singing a happy song. Just totally disconnected from what his friend is going through emotionally. Not being considerate. In the second proverb, you, you have a man who blesses his neighbor. Well, that's the right thing to say. But he blesses him in the morning. That is not the right time to say it. Amen, somebody. And he blesses him loudly. That's not the right way to say it, right? The cumulative effect is that what this man intended as a blessing was received as a curse because he said the right thing, but he didn't say it at the right time or in the right way. He was inconsiderate. So here's what the Proverbs are saying. A good friend is candid, but a good friend is also considerate. 
Man, a good friend understands how their words and actions and timing affects the people around them. They have uh, relational tact, right? They have emotional intelligence, if you will. Man, they don't, just, they don't just say, well, this is the truth and I need to say it. But they say, okay, this is the truth, but this is how I need to say it. And this is when I need to say it. Right? We've all experienced this. Um, and here's what I've found just kind of personally. If you are a person who is really, really comfortable being candid, you probably need to work on being considerate. Some wives are like, hey, man, you know, like, right? And if you are somebody that is, is very good at being considerate, you may need to work on being candid. Right? It's not one or the other. It is both and. So here's the question. If we're committed to speaking the truth, how do we speak the truth in love? If we're committed to being candid, how do we we be candid and also considerate? Let me just give you two tips that I found helpful, okay? First, ask questions rather than making statements. Ask questions rather than making statements. Because when I make a statement to my friend or my coworker or my pastor or my MC leader or whoever else, if I make a statement to my friend, here's what I'm assuming. I'm assuming I see the entire picture I'm correct, and I know what needs to happen. See that? I'm assuming I know all of it. It's, a, it's actually a pretty proudful way to go into a confrontation. Here's a statement because I know what needs to happen. But when I ask a question, here's what I'm conceding. I don't see the whole picture. I, I, I'm not perfect. I don't necessarily know what needs to happen, but I do notice something and I want to talk about it. So, so here's, here's what this looks like. Okay, real practically. Um, hey, I've noticed that Johnny has just, it's been kind of out of control like the last couple of weeks. Like I've noticed it at church. I've noticed it like at MC. I've noticed it like at the basketball game. Like he just seems to be totally out of control. Man, what's, what's going on? Is there something going on with him? Is there something going on with you guys? Oh, he, okay. He was recently diagnosed with ADHD. Oh, okay. I, I didn't know that. Oh, you guys have been living in a hotel for two weeks because you discovered black mold in your bedroom? Wow. I, that, see the difference? You go in dropping bombs, like, you better start disciplining your kid better, you know, blah, blah. And it's like, now they just feel totally, totally attacked, totally not seen, because there wasn't tact involved. That doesn't mean you never have a candid conversation. It doesn't mean that you never talk about the issue, but it just changes how you approach someone. Can I just give you some encouragement? Do that with your boss. If you're married, do that with your spouse. If you have a roommate, do that with your, with your roommate. If you need to talk to me or to Justin or one of our pastors about it, just come in asking questions. There's a great example of this a couple weeks ago. Uh, one of our members, I love him, he sent me an email. And he just had some questions about some things. But he let in so graciously, I love this. He said, um, I coach basketball. And I found if I go and I attack the referee, I will get a technical foul. He said, or I can go and ask the referee why I made the call that he did. He said, sometimes I still get technical fouls. <laughs> He, but he just, he just asked me a question, and what it allowed us to have was a really, really helpful conversation for both of us because he just extended grace to me and said, hey, can you just help me understand this thing? And I did, and it, it led to like a really profitable conversation, right? Because he came in asking questions rather than making statements. So I would just encourage you, whether that's friendship or marriage, roommates, within the church, work, man, that's just a really helpful principle to be a little more considerate as you're, as you're giving feedback. Here's the second tip. Remember your relational bank account. Okay, remember your relational bank account. I think it's helpful to think about relationships like a bank account, all right? Every time you have fun together, every time you you do something together, every time you serve your friend, love your friend, pray for your friend, have them over to dinner, have a common experience, you're depositing in the bank account, okay? Every time you have a candid conversation, guess what you're doing? You're withdrawing from the bank account. So you just need to make sure that your bank account is not bankrupt. Because if all you ever do is make withdrawals, that relationship is going to get strained quick. 
right? If the only time you want to you get together is like, we need to talk about your marriage, right? Or we need to talk about your consistency at church. Or we need to talk, it's like, oh, I don't want to hang out with you, right? But like, if you have fun together, you enjoy one another, you spend time together, and then it's like, hey, I need to have a conversation. It goes way better. Um, there is a family at our church. I won't use their names, but they are amazing at this. They are the, some of the most effective disciple makers at our church simply because they love people so well. They just like wrap them up and bless them and care for them and take them meals and serve them. So then when they come around with a little bit of a, hey, what about this? People are like, I'll receive that so willingly. Man, because they've loved them so well. Okay? And so just remember as you have relationships, you've got a bank account and just keep an eye on how much is in that bank account so that you don't go bankrupt. All right, so we said, man, friendship is super important, the power of friendship to shape us. What do we need in a friendship? We're looking for somebody that's godly, somebody that's candid, and somebody that's careful. All right, Josh, I'm all fired up. Where do I find friendships, <laughs> right? Where do I find them? That is uh, number three, where to find friends. A wise person understands where to find friends. Um, here's my experience. I think you will have the most success forming friendships at the intersection of three things. Intersection of three things, proximity, commonality, and consistency. Okay, where those three things intersect, you're going to have a lot of luck making friends. Let me give you a proverb uh, for this one. Um, Proverbs, I believe it's 2710. Can you put that up for me? Yep, Proverbs 2710. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend, and do not go to your brother's house in the day of, of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. Fun fact, that word neighbor in Proverbs is the exact same word for friend. You can kind of use them interchangeably. So here, here's what this proverb is saying. It's not saying that brothers are bad. It's not saying that it's bad to have a good relationship with your family. It's just saying when there's somebody that lives nearby, it's really, really helpful. Right? Proximity matters in relationships. My wife and I discovered this the hard way. Um, when we first got married, we lived in this duplex in the middle of nowhere. Okay? Like the middle of nowhere. Um, we lived on a road that didn't have a name. All right? You know, you anybody live on like State Road 726? Anybody out there like that? Um, this is so ridiculous. I, I knew we were getting close to civilization where there, when there would be paint on the roads. That's what I'm talking Like our road didn't have any paint on it. It was just like a road in the middle of nowhere. But it was like, we were like, oh, we can afford this. This will be great. Um, it was so lonely. It was so hard to build friendships because we just didn't have proximity to anybody. It's like I had a guy named John who I was trying to become friends with, but he lived in town, and it was like a 35-minute drive, which just meant every time I wanted to hang out with John, it took like an act of Congress, okay? It was like we had to get planned six weeks out, and I had to like save money for gas, and like all, like it was just a massive project, right? Proximity matters. Better is a friend who is nearby even than a brother who is far away. And here's where this gets really, really practical. Get into business just a little bit, but give me some grace here, okay? Um, so many people violate this principle to their own harm. Let me give you two ways that this happens. College students violate this principle when they graduate from college and they say, I'm going to prioritize my career and just go wherever I can get the best job. I'm going to totally ignore my, my church community, my faith. I'll just figure it out when I get there. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to go anywhere and assume that I'm going to find a good church and find a good community. It's a lot harder to do that than you think. I'm not saying that, you know, you can't say, where can I get my best job? I'm just saying, have that in your mind. Have proximity of good relationships in your mind. Because I hope you stay friends with your friends from college. I really do. But I'm telling you, it's not going to be the same. Like, I hope you guys still get up, you know, for like a lake weekend and a ski weekend. I hope you do all of that. That's great. It's just not the same as having somebody that like lives one block over. Right? That, that, that you just run into at the grocery store. And you're like, oh, cool. I'll see it, you know, I'll see it small group later this week. Right? So I, I see college students do it a lot. I see... I see families do it a lot when they're trying to buy a house, okay? And hear me, I'm there with you. 
Um, I don't know if you've checked lately, but houses are not very affordable in Charlottesville, right? You're like, okay, so this has got one bedroom. Uh, it, comes, it, it comes with mold in the bathroom, and the backyard literally falls off into a trench. $1.4 million. Okay. We'll see if we can make that work, you know? It's just true. It's just ridiculous, right? And so I get it. You're like, man, we're trying to buy a house. Rent is not cheap, you know? So you just, what do you start doing on Zillow? You start expanding the search radius, you know? And you're like, man, if I move to Dillwyn County, I can afford a mansion, you know? It's like, and if you're from Dillwyn, welcome. We're glad you're here, right? It's just like you just expand it, right? Because it gets cheaper and cheaper and cheaper, and you get a bigger and bigger and bigger house the further away that you live from community. It's just true, right? And some of you have experienced that. Now, I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm not saying you're in sin. I'm just saying when you're looking at real estate, just like be honest with yourself about that. Can I tell you what I've heard a lot of times? I'm sorry. This is going to offend some of you. This is what I've heard. People come up to me. Actually, I actually have a friend who I'm not going to look at right now because he knows I'm talking about him. Um, <laughs> here's what happens. Here's what we do. We get on Zillow, and we find some property on, like, the Blue Ridge Mountains, right? And here's what we convince ourselves of. I'm going to buy this property. You know what it's going to be? It's going to be a retreat. Everybody's going to come to us. We're going to host. We're going to do hospitality. Can I be honest with you? Ain't nobody coming to your house on the Blue Ridge Mountains. They're not. Like, I love you. It's just like people don't have time to come to your retreat unless you want to have them one time a year for a retreat. Right? But if you want, like, friends who you spend time with, you've got to have some proximity. That doesn't mean you have to all live in the same neighborhood. I get that there are financial realities. I'm just telling you what I've, I've learned the hard way, that proximity does matter. And so just keep that in mind as you're thinking about friendships. Okay? Proximity matters. The second thing is commonality, okay? It just helps to have something in common with someone else to form a friendship. That might be um, age and stage. Maybe, maybe you're both young adults. Maybe you're both college students. Maybe you're both, uh, you know, young families or retirees. You both have kids in high school, right? It's just helpful to have something to connect uh, around. It might be a common interest. Like maybe you guys both like the outdoors. Or maybe you both love mountain biking. You both love the NFL. Or you both love, you know, to read. There, there's some sort of common thing that, that you guys enjoy together. Praise God for that. Um, if you're a Christian, one of the, the greatest commonality that you have is that, man, you have Christ in common with other Christians. And so that's a, that's a great place to start, okay? Commonality, it's not bad. It just kind of like helps you, helps you get going, and you guys have all found that in, in your life, right? It's helpful when you have something to, to connect with somebody else about. So proximity, commonality, and here's the third one, consistency. Consistency. Here's what I mean. Um, friendship is like any other aspect of our lives, right? If you invest in it over time, it will get better. If you don't invest in it over time, it won't. Right, so just like marriage, right? If, if you want your marriage to grow, you've got to consistently invest in it, right? Just like, I don't know, like education. If you, if you want to get better in your field or you want to get a new qualification at work, like you've got to invest time in it, right? Fitness, diet, everything works this way, and, and so does friendship, right? If you invest, in, invest intentionally over time, friendship will grow. And here's at least what I've found. Um, there are people that I didn't really click with at first that I'm now really good friends with. It's just because, like, we spent enough time together, and I kind of grew to appreciate them, and they grew to appreciate me, and we just sort of worked it out, and, and we kind of got past that, that awkward stage. And here's what I found. I don't have any data to back this up, but I don't have a lot of data to back up a lot of things I say. Um, but have you ever noticed there's this weird inflection point where you have to see someone enough for the conversation not to be awkward? It's like, it's like you, you had to have seen them at least once in the last week because then you can check in on the thing they told you about last week. You know what I'm saying? But if you miss like two or three weeks, then you don't have anything to talk about. Because you're like, well, I can't ask him about that thing at work because that was like a month ago. 
you know, and like I know their kids were sick, but I think that was in December, right? You just kind of need like a little bit of that, of, that, uh, of that consistency to build a relationship, all right? So if you're saying, Josh, I want to form some friendships, whether you're in college or you're retired or somewhere in between, I think those three things are the way, place to look, okay? Proximity, commonality, and consistency. And by the way, this is why we talk so much about relationships at our church. This is why I love serving teams here. Because if you join a serving team, guess what you're going to have? You're going to have proximity, you're going to have commonality, and you're going to have consistency with those people on your serving team. And you can form some great friendships. If you, if you get into a missional community, you're going to have those same three things. You're going to have proximity, you're going to have commonality, and you're going to have consistency. So I know sometimes we talk about that. You're like, why are you always talking about these things? Back off, man. It's genuinely because we want to help you build meaningful relationships, man, because God created you for that. Right? Here's what I think we all know, that friendships matter, but friendships are hard to form. Right? I, I've given you some good principles, I think, from the scriptures. So here's what I could say. Go do likewise and be blessed. Come back next week and tell me about all your great new friendships. But if all you needed were some tips from me, you probably would have already formed those friendships, right? Because like nothing I said was that insightful. Right? There's actually a deeper problem about why we, why we don't form friendships. You see, the ultimate reason we don't have better friends is because we aren't very good at being friends. The ultimate reason we don't have better friends is because we're not very good at being friends. I mean, think about it. Are you always a godly influence on your friends? Does being around you inspire your friends to love and treasure Jesus more? Does your generosity stir your friends up to give? Does your service stir them up to serve? Does the way you model forgiveness motivate them to forgive? I mean, if you're anything like me, the answer is, no, sometimes yes, sometimes no. What about candid? Are you candid with your friends? Man, when you notice something amiss in their lives, are you willing to talk to them about it? Are you willing to lean in on parenting? Are you willing to lean in on sexuality? Are you willing to lean in on finances? But how inconsistent they've been at church? Or, man, you're like, I, nope. I'm not willing to be uncomfortable for their ultimate good. I would rather be comfortable and let them continue to walk in foolishness. Are you considerate of your friends? And do you enter into what they're going through? Man, do you enter into their pain? Are you willing to make their burdens your burdens? Do you intercede for them in prayer? Man, when they are weeping, will you weep with them even when you feel like rejoicing? When they are rejoicing, will you rejoice with them even when you feel like weeping? I mean, the honest answer is usually no. Usually friendship is pretty low on our priority list. It's like, hey, I'd like to be friends if it doesn't, if it doesn't inconvenience these four other things, like work and my comfort at home and marriage and friends and travel and money, and if it doesn't impact those things, then yeah, I'd, I'd, I, would, I would accept some friends. I'm taking that position. Right? And if friendship requires sacrifice or difficulty, or if somebody becomes a drag, we just kind of move on, right? And that's actually even what the world says. So if you, if you Google, like, how do I know when to move on from a friendship, it will tell you if they're dragging you down. Like, just cut them off. We, we tend to prioritize comfort and convenience. I do. I think, I think most people do. We tend to avoid anyone that impedes that. You see, the reason most of us lack good friendships is because we're not very good at being friends. So it doesn't matter how many tips I give you. It doesn't matter how many people you get around. If you're not good at being friends and they're not good at being friends, you're not going to have a good friendship. And this is why we need Jesus Christ. This is why we need the principles of the Proverbs, but we need the power of the gospel as well. One of the things that you need to understand about the Bible is that the Bible is like a good friend. It will wound you to heal you. I was like a good friend. It will wound you to heal you. And this is what the Bible says about you and about me. You are a terrible friend. You're a terrible friend. You aren't godly. You aren't candid. You aren't considerate. 
More often than not, you're pretty selfish and petty. But knowing all of that, guess what? Knowing what a terrible friend I am, God wanted to be friends with me. And God wanted to be friends with you. And so what he did is he, he, he sent Jesus Christ, the ultimate friend, to change things. I mean, who is, who is more godly than Jesus Christ? Who has had a greater influence on the world for godliness than Jesus Christ? Who is more candid than Jesus Christ? Who will tell us the truth even when we rage against him in response? Even when we say, I won't believe in you. I'm going to call you antiquated. We're going to put you on the cross for telling us the truth. And he says, I'm still willing to tell you the truth because I love you that much. Who is more considerate than Jesus Christ? Who took on flesh? Who understands the human experience? Who knows what it is to suffer? Who knows what it is to be betrayed, to be misunderstood? Who knows what it is to weep? Who knows what it is to groan? He is our great priest who is able to sympathize with our weaknesses because he himself has been tempted in every way and yet without sin. Jesus Christ is the perfect friend. And the book of Proverbs says that if you become a great friend and you surround yourself with great friends, guess what you get to experience? Blessing. Promise of Proverbs. And yet Jesus Christ, the perfect friend, did not end his life in blessing. He ended his life in cursing. Why? Because on the cross, Jesus was trading places with us. On the cross, Jesus suffered for all the ways that I've been a lousy friend. Jesus Christ suffered for all the ways I've been a bad influence, for all the people that I've led into sin, for all the times I've gossiped, all the ways I've manipulated people to get what I want. He suffered for all the times that I hardened my heart and wasn't willing to enter into the suffering of my friend, preferring to preserve my comfort than to enter into my brother's suffering. On the cross, Jesus paid the penalty for my bad friendship and for your bad friendship. And in the resurrection, Jesus gives us the power to change. When I was a terrible friend, when you were a terrible friend to Christ, he continued to be a wonderful friend to us. When I was inconsiderate and disinterested, he continued to pursue me. When I cried out for help, he answered, and when I asked him for forgiveness, he was merciful. And now he sends me out, he sends you out to be that kind of friend to others. If I know, if you know that Jesus Christ has accepted me, then I can move out into friendship without fear of rejection. And I can go again even though I've been hurt in the past. When I realize how much Jesus has served me and continues to serve me to this day, it motivates me to serve those around me, to be the kind of friend who serves and who cares and is considerate. And when I am fully and finally satisfied in Jesus Christ, man, I don't ask my friends to bear the crushing weight of my soul. Man, I don't need the perfect friend who always says the perfect things, who's always there for me, because I have the perfect friend who always says the perfect things, who is always there for me, and his name is Jesus Christ. God made us for friendship. God made you for friendship. You will flourish in friendship, and through the gospel of Jesus Christ, we actually have the power to flourish. And so if you bow your heads with me, I just want to give us a chance to pray and to respond. I just want to ask you if there's, if there's something that the Holy Spirit is putting on your mind and on your heart that you need to do today. I wonder if there's a change that you need to make. Is there a, is there a candid, candid conversation that you need to have? And you know what it is. It's with her and it's about that. Is, is, there, is there a relationship that you need to invest in? Say, man, when I'm around him, I'm just better. When we're around that family, we're better, so we just got to prioritize that. Man, is there, is there something you need to repent of? Is 
God, I've, I've not been a good friend. I've been inconsiderate. I've been selfish. I just haven't prioritized it. I've just not believed your word. I'd be like, no, I'm good without friends. I'm the one exception to the rule. Whatever it is, I just want to give you an opportunity to pray, to hear from the Spirit, and then to respond. Lord Jesus, when I was a terrible friend to you, you continued to be a wonderful friend to me. I'm so grateful that in John 15, you say, no longer do I call you servants, but I call you friend. That through the incredible work of the cross and the power of the resurrection, I am now a friend of yours. So God, I pray that that reality would settle on this room, that it would satisfy us deeply, and it would motivate us to move outwards, to form friendships that you created us for, and that will help us walk with you. God, give us faith to do what you're calling us to do. We love you. Pray these things in Jesus' name.